Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Um, so again... Today, we have the incredible opportunity to celebrate three baptisms. Is that not incredible? That is awesome. Now, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. Hold on a second. I'm going to let you guys redeem yourself, okay? So today, we have the incredible opportunity of celebrating three baptisms together. Yeah! Woo! All right. All right. Man, that's better than the Super Bowl or Fourth of July, any of that stuff. This is incredible. We have the opportunity to celebrate with this people, and this is a big step for these guys, a really big step. This is a, uh, there's so much more to baptism than just being dunked underwater. This is a commitment that these people are making to Jesus Christ, a commitment that they're making. And any time that we see a baptism, we should remember, it should cause us to kind of pause for a moment and, and remember what all of this is about. And not just baptism, but everything that we're doing here. Like while we're gathering together here on Sunday mornings at church, while we're singing praise songs to God, while we're diving into the Word, doing life together through life groups, praying for each other, why we do any of this stuff. And it's all about salvation through Christ. Because of salvation, I mean, think about it. Without salvation, we would have no hope. We'd have no redemption. We'd have nothing to celebrate. This is because of salvation. And that generates the question, well, what is salvation? What exactly is salvation? And for us as Christian, you know, we, we've heard this uh, several times, but we should never uh, get to the point where we, you know, it's mundane or ritualistic. You know, we, we, should, we should never get to the point where we don't want to be reminded about what Jesus Christ has done for us, about the cross, about salvation. That should be something that should be on the forefront of our mind constantly, daily, remembering what he has done for us because it's only because of Jesus. Salvation is only through Jesus. And if you're here today and you um, have never responded to the gospel, maybe you're here for the first time or you've never responded to the gospel, I want you to know that you're not here by accident. You're not here just happen chance. You are here because God ordained it for you to be here. God is the one that drew you here. You may have been invited. You may have seen some kind of a, a, you know, a, a advertisement or something, but that is because God placed that in your path. He wanted you to be here for a reason, because he loves you and because he wants you to hear this message of hope. And so back to this question, what is salvation? Salvation is a covenant relationship with Christ. That's our big idea today. Salvation is a covenant relationship with Christ. And here in a moment, we're going to dive into that covenant relationship. We're going to kind of unpack what this covenant actually entails. But before we do that, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this covenant relationship that you offer us that is available to every single one of us only because of you jesus and we submit to the fact that this is only because of you because of what you have done for us on the cross jesus in our place your blood shed in our place god we just thank you so much for that we thank you for salvation i pray that this never becomes something hearing about the gospel hearing about the cross hearing about what you've done for us jesus never becomes something that's just ritualistic or mundane i pray that we experience this in a fresh new way that we hear this in a fresh new way today god draw us closer to you through this convict us god i pray if there's anybody here that has never responded to the gospel message i pray that you would just just touch their heart god that you would break chains break shackles in their life god 
God, thank you so much. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just flood this place. We thank you for the baptisms that we're going to be able to celebrate. The salvations of these people and the commitment that they're, being, they're able to make. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you. Amen. Amen. Um, so today we're going to be diving into one of the best pictures that we see in the entire Bible of the early church, um, which is seen in Acts chapter 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I love this chapter. There's so much meat in it, so much that we can kind of glean from and learn from. And this chapter starts off with the disciples gathered together in the upper room. They're gathered there. um, They're all together. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in. The text tells us like a mighty rushing wind, like flames of fire. And something incredible happens to these guys, to all these disciples that are gathered up there. All of a sudden, these guys are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start just proclaiming the name of Christ, talking about proclaiming the gospel, talking about God, but they're doing it in different languages, in different tongues, so that everybody that is around them can understand them in their own native language, in their own tongue. And the the thing is, these guys didn't know these languages before. It's because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been given this power to, to be able to do this. And there's thousands of people that are nearby when all of this has happened. The reason that there's thousands of people that are nearby is because there's a festival that's going on um, at this point in time. There's tons of Jews. It's actually one of the most popular uh, pilgrimage-type festivals. It brings people from all over, all these different nations. The people that speak different languages are all gathered together, thousands of them. And it's this festival called the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of the First Fruits. Um, and what they're, this is primarily an agricultural type of festival. Um, they're they're uh, essentially celebrating God's provision, thanking God for his provision. But one of the other things that they're doing, they're commemorating the giving of the Torah or the books of the law. And the Torah, what we have to understand about this, the Torah, the books of the law, God gave that to the Israelites to help teach them how to live as his people. That was the reason that he gave the Torah. So these Jews Thousands of them from all over the place are gathered here on this same day to one of the main reasons to celebrate, the commemorate the the giving of the Torah, the books of the law, to to help them learn how to live as God's people. That same day, the Holy Spirit comes on the the disciples that are gathered together in the upper room. The reason that this is so significant is you have to remember what Jesus said about the coming Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the coming Holy Spirit would teach us, we're included in this, as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, he would teach us all things, and he would remind us of everything that Jesus taught us. And so this points us to the fact that all the way back when the the giving of the Torah, the, the law, all the way back at Mount Sinai with the Israelites in the wilderness and Moses, God was pointing his people to the cross, to the coming Messiah, Jesus, to the coming Holy Spirit, All of those years ago, we get to look back on all these things, back on the cross, back on Jesus, what he's done for us, back on the Holy, coming to the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But they looked forward to it all those years ago. All of this time, God was pointing us to the cross. And this day, we use the Greek word, it's called Pentecost. And that word Pentecost, for this moment in time, this celebration, it literally translates to 50. The reason that it translates to 50, they use this word, is because this happens, Pentecost happens 50 days after the Passover, the same day that Jesus was crucified. Another incredible picture of how God, all the way back in Egypt, when the Israelites were in slavery and bondage to Pharaoh, and God tells them to sacrifice the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the lintel of the two doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over them. So they were saved by the, from the sacrifice of this lamb, the blood of this lamb, in the same way we are saved from the blood of a lamb, the sacrifice of a lamb, Jesus Christ. All the way back there, even in Egypt, God was pointing his people to the cross. We look back, they looked forward. 
It's this central piece of our faith at the cross of Christ. And so here we are in this moment and in time, the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They're just preaching the gospel, declaring the name of God, declaring the name of Christ to all these people that can hear them in different languages. And these people, thousands of them that are nearby, they, they think these dudes are nuts. Like, they're like, what in the world is going on? Because they've never heard anything like this before. They're like, what is going on? The word actually tells us several of these people, several of these Jews that were gathered there, literally thought the disciples were drunk. Like, that's what it tells us. They, they thought they were crazy. They were drunk or something. You know, and, and, but then Peter gets up and he says, look, no, they're not drunk, man. They're not drunk. And this dude starts straight preaching the gospel boldly i mean like remember there are thousands of people there so he's not whispering this he is shouting the gospel the truth of the gospel boldly for thousands of people to hear i mean it's just this incredible picture and you got to remember this is the same guy that just days ago 50 days ago this dude would denied ever even knowing jesus at all three times Three times. He was a coward. This was after living with Jesus for three years. And remember, this is this what happened before Jesus was ever crucified. It was before he was ever flogged, before he was ever beaten. At that moment in time when, when Peter denied Jesus, denied even knowing him three times, the only thing that had happened is Peter had been taken and he was being questioned. And it was, to, it was a girl. It was a girl that was questioning him. So one girl literally had Peter deny ever even knowing Jesus three times, just 50 days prior to this. And now this dude is boldly declaring the gospel for thousands of people to hear in the same area that Jesus Christ was crucified dead in. How in the world is this possible? How, how is this coward now doing this? Several reasons. For one, he saw the risen Lord and Savior several times. He was there with a great commission when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was there when Jesus ascended. But more importantly is who is now inside of Peter, who Peter has been filled with, the Holy Spirit, God in us. God is inside of Peter. He is filling him with boldness and allowing him to boldly and fearlessly declare the gospel message for thousands of people to hear. So that's where we're at this moment of time. And we're going to dive into this text to catch up and see what happens next. This is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. This is the covenant initiated. Remember the big idea, um, salvation is a covenant relationship with Christ. So here we're going to see this picture of the covenant being initiated. Again, Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 7, 37. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? So remember, thousands of people have just heard the gospel. They now understand the gospel, and they're standing there asking, what do we do now? What next? What is our next move? How do we respond to this message of hope and redemption found through Christ? That's what they're asking. And then, let's keep on going. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Man, that is incredible. Did you catch that last part? About 3,000 people got saved that one day. I mean, that is awesome. And it's also crazy. 
Like, how in the world would you even baptize all those people? You have to, like, break out a water hose or something just to get everybody wet. I mean, that's crazy. 3,000 people. But, but what we have to catch in there, what we can't miss is 3,000 people literally came into a right relationship with Jesus Christ in that one moment in time. They literally moved from death to life instantly. I mean, that is just incredible what happened on this day. And, of course, I'm just kidding about the whole water hose thing. I mean, I would never do that. If, if I see you, uh, you know, out and about on another day with a water hose, I don't know. It's, for, it's fair game. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm just, I'm just being honest, okay? Don't give me a water hose. But not with, not with baptism. This word baptism actually means to dip or to immerse. So that's why, biblically speaking, we understand that we are supposed to submerge, completely submerge someone when they are baptized. Plus, Jesus was submerged. That's why we do this. And when we baptize, there, there's an incredible symbolism behind this. There's, there's so much meat, so much depth to baptism. And we're going to dive into that a little bit later. But first, I want us to step back for a moment and dive into this text, the two responses that Peter gives us, the two commands after we hear the gospel. Um, repent and be baptized. That's what he says. Repent and be baptized. And we have to understand they have to be done in that order too, okay? You, you can't be baptized, in other words, until you repent first, until you believe and repent. You have to repent first. So we're going to dive into this in that order, starting with repentance. What is repentance? We're going back to the basics today. What is repentance? And I know that we've heard this word a lot. I mean, most all of us have heard this word hundreds, if not thousands of times, okay? I get that. But here's the question you need to ask yourself. Do you really understand what that means? I mean, honestly, do you really understand what repentance means? Because this is huge, man. This is huge. I mean, we can't be saved until we repent. So we have to understand what repentance is before we can repent, before we can be saved. This is huge. We can't just gloss over this. This is a big deal. We need to understand what this means. And um, the thing about repentance, guys, it's not just about knowing the word. It's not just about knowing the gospel. I don't care how much you think you know about the word, how much you know about the gospel. We've got to remember the word tells us that even Satan knows Satan knows the word. Satan knows the gospel. Satan was there when all of this happened, when all of this was written. Does that mean that Satan is saved because he knows it really well and he can quote it? No, he's not saved just because he knows it, just because he can quote it. So if it means, if, if we just know the gospel, we can proclaim the gospel. If that doesn't make us saved, then what is it that, what is it that, that this means with this repentance word? What does that actually entail? Repentance is a death. Repentance is a death. We literally have to die in order to repent. That's what that means. But it's not a physical death. It is a death to a sinful nature. When we repent, we are literally dying to the things in our life that we are putting up on a pedestal in the place of God. We are dying to the idols in our life, whatever that may be, the, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, you know, uh, material possessions, uh, sinful, you know, fleshly desires or actions, whatever it may be. Anything in our life that we put on a pedestal in the place of God literally has to die in our life. I love this thing. <laughs> it literally has to die in our life. That's what repentance is. Is. Guys, when we repent, we're literally telling Jesus, I believe the gospel. I believe you are the only way to salvation. And I am agreeing to partner with you in killing the sin in my life so that I can become more and more like you. That is what we're doing in repentance. We're submitting to our life to Jesus Christ. 
And we're also submitting our life to the Holy Spirit to make us and to mold us more and more into the image of Jesus. And this doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. I'll tell you right now, you're not going to. be. You're going to fail. But here's the thing. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus Christ is perfect in your place. But through repentance, we're committing ourselves to Christ alone as God over our life. And we're submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing through repentance. That's what this word means. And when we dive into this text, I love this, man. As we dive into this text, something that we have to understand is, did you see any kind of an invitation or anything that was given to these people? Did you see anything? Did you, did you see any, any um, uh, time where they were waiting to raise their hand or anything? There's nothing in there about that. All they did, they simply responded in faith. And they asked, okay, what do we do next? In faith, they repented and they were baptized. And oftentimes, we can go to a couple of different extremes with this. We can be tempted to, on one hand, we can overcomplicate it. We can feel as though we have to measure up to a certain standard. Like we have to be good enough. We have to have enough scripture memorized. We have to wear the right clothes, say the right words, speak Christianese or something. Have a certain amount of, um, you know, uh, uh, sobriety under our belt. But, but here's the thing, guys, that completely contradicts the gospel of grace. We cannot earn our way to salvation. It is by grace alone. There's nothing you can do or will ever be able to do to, serve the grace, to deserve the grace of God found through Jesus Christ alone. Nothing. And in this text, we got to see this. In Acts chapter 2, it makes it very clear in this picture. We see that on that same day, these people that were struggling with all kinds of different things, thousands of them, on the same day they heard and understood the gospel, they repented and they were baptized in that same day. On the flip side of this, we can also be tempted to oversimplify this. And there's a way that we do this, and I want to be careful when I say this, because when people do this, um, this isn't always oversimplifying it. There's a way to do this properly, but we have to be very careful. And what I'm talking about here, oversimplifying it, if we're not careful, is by asking people to simply repeat a prayer after us. And then after they've repeated this magical prayer, asking them to raise their hand or come down an aisle. I want to read you something that David Platt said in a sermon a few years ago. He said, Should it not bother us that there isn't a single prayer for salvation found anywhere in the Bible? Not a single one. What does that mean for us? What does that tell us? Guys, listen, I can't pray your prayer for you. I can't pray your prayer for you. You can't pray your your prayer for me. Okay, I mean, nobody else can pray that prayer for you. That is between you and God. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your sins are. Okay, only you know what God is calling you to repent of, to give over to him. Nobody else knows that. This isn't a ritualistic or a mundane thing. This is a personalized thing. And when we're talking to God, all you're doing is talking to our daddy. That's all you're doing. This is supposed to be a personalized thing. Let me make this very, very clear, guys. There is no one-size-fits-all prayer for repentance. It does not exist. In that same sermon, David Platt said something, and this is, when I heard this, man, this floored me. Um, How many people are we sending to hell by making them think that they are saved when all that they have done is recited a prayer and raised their hand or walked up an aisle? By the way, David Platt is... He's a preacher, obviously, but then he's also the president of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention. 
In other words, this dude is the main overseer for all the projects, the missions, to, to, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and thereby fulfill the great commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. This dude, th- these are his words. As repentance is deeper than a simple prayer. It's personalized commitment to Christ, a covenant relationship with him. It's like a, a marriage ceremony where two people are literally promising themselves to one another and no one else. That's what we're doing in this situation with repentance. We're promising ourselves to Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ alone. When we repent for the first time, it's kind of like it's similar to saying our vows. Just like in a marriage ceremony, when you say your vows to your spouse, we're essentially saying our vows to Jesus as we repent, and we're promising ourselves to him. And so if repentance is similar to like saying our vows in a wedding ceremony, then what does that make baptism? Baptism is like the ring. Baptism is like the ring. See, just like in a wedding ceremony, a man and a woman, they're committing themselves to each other. They're binding themselves to each other. In the same way at repentance, we're committing ourselves to Christ. We're binding ourselves to Jesus Christ. The actual marriage, that's the, that's the covenant. But, but then the uh, ceremony, that's a public display of that covenant. In the same way, baptism is the public display of our covenant relationship with Jesus. That's what baptism is. It reminds you and it tells the rest of the world that you belong to Jesus. You are essentially preaching a sermon to everybody around you whenever you're getting baptism and saying, I belong to Jesus. That's what we're doing. In a wedding ceremony, I love this picture. When the ring is placed on that spouse's hands and the man places the ring on the woman's finger or vice versa, there's something incredible about this. The ring... Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're married just when you place the ring on. If you didn't know that before, that doesn't mean that. Um, but there's something incredible, so powerful about that. And, and the husband and the wife in that moment, they can feel it. It's tangible even. And everybody else in the ring, in, in the ring, in the room can feel it. They're kind of leaning in as this ring is about to be placed on the finger because it's like solidifying this relationship, this covenant that's been made. And it, it, what it does, it, it kind of, draws those people, invites those people into this deeper, more intimate relationship than they've ever had before, solidifying that covenant. But on top of that, it also gives them something that they can remember that covenant by. In the days of the head, whenever it gets hard or, you know, when it, whatever may come their way, they can remember that covenant that they made to each other. Every time I look at this ring, I can remember the covenant that I made, the promise I made to my bride. In the same way, guys, Whenever we're baptized, it thrusts us into this deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus, kind of solidifying that covenant that's already being made so that we and everybody else around us can know that we belong to Jesus. And it also helps us remind us in the days ahead we can look back on it, no matter how hard it gets, and we can say, you know what, I belong to Jesus. I made this covenant with him, and nothing can ever take that away from me. Nothing will ever be able to separate me from him. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love. Once we are saved, we are also saved. We're able to look back on that and remember it. And there's such a profound picture that's seen, um, the symbolism that's seen within baptism as we dive into this. And I want to check this out with you in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism, it's an outward expression of an internal transformation where we are dying to sin and we're literally being raised to walk in newness of life because of Christ, man. And not only are we being raised to life in this life, but also in the next. Because of Christ's resurrection and when we follow him, death and sin no longer have any power, any control over our lives. Yet this baptism is a symbol of our deliverance from the bondage of sin and our entry into a life of freedom. Baptism is a symbol of our deliverance from the bondage of sin and our entry into a life of freedom. And I don't know about you, man, but when I think about being delivered from the bondage of sin and being able to publicly declare and portray that freedom that I've been given because of Jesus Christ, that gets me excited. Like, I mean, I think that's pretty awesome. I can't think of many other things in life that are more incredible and profound than that. But what's so sad is a lot of people, a lot of Christians, followers of Christ, will make all kinds of excuses as to why they think they don't need to be baptized, as to why they think it's not a big deal. And we'll ask all these questions too, like crazy questions, almost kind of trying to just tap dance around this, this topic of baptism like it's not really that important. Several years ago in a sermon, Francis Chan, um, one of my favorite uh, preachers to listen to, Francis Chan actually talked about this. And he just started just, started just opening up about it. He, he had recently gotten a lot of questions about baptism, pouring in, people calling him, emails, all these different things. And, and he just started talking about this, and he was just baffled by it. And he started saying, he actually asked one question and returned to all those questions. He didn't answer any of the questions. He just replied with a question. And he said, why do you ask? That was literally all he said. That was his question to all these other crazy questions that he got from all these other people. Why do you ask? And then he followed that by saying, they didn't. They didn't. They being the people in Acts chapter 2 that we're talking about. They didn't ask. All they did, the only thing that they did, they asked, hey, what do we need to do? That was the only question that they asked. That was the only thing that was on the forefront of their mind. They heard the gospel. They understood the gospel. The only thing that they wanted to know is, how do I respond to this? That was it. And as soon as they heard the only two answers, the only two responses to just repent and be baptized, guess what they did? They repented and they were baptized. That was it. They didn't overcomplicate it. By, uh, you know, trying to, you know, they didn't overcomplicate it by doing anything. They just repented. They prayed their own personal prayers of repentance, and they were baptized. That's what they did. And in this moment, whenever they were baptized, the thing is, we got to understand, they were putting a target on their back as well. They were putting a target on their back. In other words, these people had counted the cost. They knew the cost of following Jesus. They had counted, they, they knew the weight of the decision, the choice that they were making in these moments. They knew that when they repented, when they were baptized publicly, for all these people to see, that literally that could mean their life. And for many of these people, it did. For many of these people, it literally ended up meaning their life. Guys, we are so blessed, so blessed to live in a nation where we are able to worship with freedom. We're able to worship with freedom. We have the freedom to be able to boldly declare the gospel um, to, to, I mean, out in our communities, out in our cities. We can talk about Jesus. We can talk about the gospel. And yet so often, 
So many people in America, we make these excuses as to why we can't, why, uh, you know, why we don't need to get baptized, why it's not a big deal. But guys, so many people today, just like in the book of Acts, all around the world, they still are doing the same thing. When they repent, when they are baptized, they are literally putting a mark on their back. And they are saying essentially in that moment, no matter what, even if it means my life, Jesus, I still will follow even if it means my life. And ultimately, guys, when it comes to baptism, in the end, Jesus was baptized. Jesus was baptized. So if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples and follow him, and that word disciple, that literally means we're going to follow in his steps, then we have to do what he did. He was baptized. And not only was he baptized, so we follow in his steps and we're baptized as well, but then he also commands us to do this with the Great Commission. The last thing that he said before he ascended, very last command, to make disciples to the ends of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized. He commands us to baptize other people. And as we're talking about the Great Commission, I want to say this to anybody in here that has never responded to the gospel before. If you've never responded to the gospel message of Jesus, the Bible is so clear. It is very clear that you have not been saved from the penalty of your sins. You can only be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. That's it. That is the only place that salvation comes from. It is a free gift of grace given to you by God. But here's the thing. You have to accept that free gift. You have to accept it. You have to respond to that. It is a free gift. He's not going to force it on you. He gives you the opportunity to respond. Anyone who calls in the name of Jesus and literally repents, truly repents, will be saved. Anyone. If you're here today and you have never responded to the gospel, please don't leave here today. Don't leave here today without responding. He loves you. He will save you right where you're at. And if you're here today, you've already repented. You've already been baptized. Maybe your question is, okay, well, what, what do I do next? Okay, I've already repented. I've already been baptized. I belong to Jesus. I'm following him. What do I do next? I'm glad you asked. Let's go ahead and we're going to dive into the last part of this text in Acts chapter 2. This is how the covenant is lived out, this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being So how do we live out this covenant relationship in our lives, in our everyday life? Literally, verse 42, one of the verses that we just read, points out four practical ways that we do this. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and circle these things as we're talking about these things. Acts uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is where they're found. Devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first one that we see. Devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Guys, this is just the word of God. 
That's what it's talking about here, the word of God. Diving into the Bible, the word of God on a daily basis in your own personal life, man. And then also gathering together as God's people in church or in a life group and diving into the word together, talking about it and pointing each other towards Jesus through the text, through the word. And getting to know the truths and the promises of God for your life, declaring and proclaiming those truths and those promises over your life on a daily basis. The next one is devoting ourselves to the fellowship. And when it talks about the fellowship, this is just our church family, man. These are other Christians devoting ourselves to our church family. Guys, when we read Acts, I love this because these guys did life together every day. Every day they were at the temple together. They were in each other's houses. They they were eating together. They they were diving into the word together, talking about the gospel. That was the main thing they were doing, diving into the word together. But they were also just doing life together. They were talking about things that they were struggling with. They were praying for each other. They were just learning more about each other, pointing each other towards Jesus, encouraging each other, accountability. I mean, even people in the secular world understand that the people that we hang out with the most are the people that we end up becoming like the most. Even people that aren't Christians understand that. So common sense would tell us that if we start hanging out with people that look and act like Jesus, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to start looking more and acting more like Jesus in our own life. Why this is so important. These guys got this. They knew this. This was an integral part of their life. Every day, these guys we're together. That's why um, the life group here at Victory Church, this is so important. This isn't just, we don't just view this as like an extracurricular activity, man. This is so important, so key to who we are as followers of Christ, loving on each other and being there for each other, pointing each other towards Jesus. And the last thing is they devoted themselves to the, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> the last thing is to the breaking of bread. I just said the last thing. That's the third thing. I apologize. To the breaking of bread. That's the third thing. This means communion. When it talks about the breaking of bread, this means communion. And as we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering um, Jesus Christ, his body being broken for us. And also when we take the wine, here we, take a, we drink grape juice. Uh, we remember his blood that was shed for us on the cross in our place. We're remembering these things, remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. These guys did this every day every day. Again, we should never get tired of being reminded of the cross and what Jesus Christ did for us. Through this, we're able to remember what he did for us. Again, they did this every day. For us, um, here at Victory, we've we've, uh, committed to do this once a month, at least as a body of of believers here at Victory. But I want you to know, this isn't something that you just have to do at church, and that's it. It's not just limited to church. These guys did this in their homes. You can do this in your home as well. And remember what Jesus did for you in your place on the cross. The last thing is to prayer. And when we talk about prayer, you know, we, we overcomplicate this. But prayer, guys, is just talking to our God. Just talking to God. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, the good times, the bad times, in between times. Don't treat God like just your cosmic vending machine. Just go to him, run to him when you need something from him, when times are tough or bad or whatever it may be, or when you're mad at him. Now, he does want you to run to him and talk to him during those times, but not just those times. And so often, that's what we do. We limit our prayer life just to the times that we need God, or we're mad about a situation. We're struggling with something. But guys, cry out to him in the good times, in the in-between times. Praise him. Even through the struggles, praise him because he is still worthy to be praised. Guys, the more that you spend time with him, just like any other relationship, the more that you spend time with him, 
the more that you're going to know the more you'll be able to understand his ways the more you'll be able to hear him in your life here, here in a few moments like we said before we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate three different baptisms which is incredible i'm so excited about that and um i'm excited about celebrating this before we do that, we're going to sing one last worship song. And as we sing this song together, I want to encourage you to respond. Um, if this is the first time that you have heard the gospel, if you've had that um, uh, this situation in your life where you've kind of made this excuse, well, I don't know what the gospel is. I don't know who Jesus is. You can't leave here today and say that. You've heard the gospel. And you also know how to respond to the gospel. So if you've said that in the past, you can't say that leaving here today. And so if you've heard this for the first time, or if you've heard this several times and you've never responded, then I want to encourage you, please don't leave here today without responding. He loves you. He will meet you where you're at, and he will save you where you're at. And if you're here today and you have responded before, but there's some areas in your life you've been holding on to, then don't wait to give them over to him. We're going to stand together as we sing. You guys respond to him. Pray to him. It's just talking to your daddy. That's what we're doing. Tell him what's going on in your life and give those things over, those areas over in your life to him that are holding you. Let's stand up. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. 
and it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out uh, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.